HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. I wonder how many of those listeners right now are thinking about what they are going to have to eat today. And if that means they're going to use a delivery app to have their food brought to them at home or at work or the office or wherever they may be. Delivery apps, a big part of food tech, something that we have been covering on Tech Bytes since September of 2015. The first episode that we did on delivery was episode number 31. And the title is, Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And we spoke with two independent restaurant owners that were talking about Seamless and if it worked for them. And spoiler alert, it wasn't really great for the restaurant. It wasn't really great economically. It took a lot of money out of their bottom line. It took away their direct contact and relationship with their customers. Um, And it was really a struggle and it was difficult. And when I asked them why they did it, they said, well, Something is maybe better than nothing, even though they were only maybe getting 80% of 100% of the sale. And that was very eye-opening. So it's been something we've been covering for a long time. There's no doubt that delivery is extremely convenient for people, consumers, all of us. Time is perhaps the most valuable asset we have. And if we can save time, that's great, and spend it doing something else. When we had the pandemic and started in 2020 and people were sheltering in place, delivery became more than a convenience. It became essential. It became something connected to health and well-being and and life. And it became essential for people sheltering in place as a way to get food. It became essential for restaurants and other businesses to continue to work economically and make money. All throughout this, 
especially in urban cities like New York City, delivery is mostly done by people riding bicycles. It's a completely different structure when we're talking about suburbs where people are driving in their cars. That's a whole other kind of delivery. But in New York City and in urban places where people are riding bikes in the rain, in the snow, in the cold, in the summer, in the heat, with traffic, all of that, that's pretty much what we're talking about. That's what powers all of the delivery apps. It doesn't matter if it's a restaurant, grocery, super ultra fast. It's mostly people on bicycles. One of the things that's fascinating to me right now about this moment in time is as consumers, as citizens in the world, we are very, very interested and very, very concerned about where our food comes from increasingly so over the last decade. Who grows our food? What are the conditions? Is the way that that food is grown good for the environment? How are the people being treated who are growing it, processing it, farms, factories? Are they being taken care of? Is everything ethical? How does that food get from the farm to our grocery, to our house, to the farmer's market, to the restaurant? What's the carbon footprint? Are we, are, are we doing harm to the planet? The chef, the cook, the people who, who make our food at, at bakeries and restaurants, are they motivated? Are they serving hospitality? Are they taking care of their staff? What's the ethos of the place that's making my food? We are looking at every piece of the supply chain for food with microscopic detail. But for some reason, when the food leaves the restaurant or the retailer, and gets on a bicycle with a person and comes to your door, we're not really looking at that with the same amount of scrutiny. Because if we were, I would bet that delivery would be a little bit different. And I would bet that I would see more innovation in the actual last mile coming out of the food tech space. Currently, all the innovations in the food tech space are about the software platforms or the apps themselves? How can restaurants manage their own delivery ecosystem? It's all about AI and software. No one has really solved the actual issues and created true innovation, getting it actually the last mile from the restaurant, from the shop, actually to your door. So today we're going to take a look at that last mile. We're going to talk to some people at Los Deliveristas Unidos. This is a group that I really am interested in following and seeing what they are doing. Um, we first covered them back in July of 2021 as a part of a three-part series we did on delivery. Episode 242 was How It Works. Episode 243 was Los Deliveristas Unidos. And episode 244 was The Future of Delivery. Los Deliveristas Unidos is a group that was founded in 2021 during the pandemic, primarily by bicycle delivery workers. They came together because they became essential workers. Delivering food during a pandemic became potentially life-threatening, but they weren't being treated that way, and they certainly weren't being paid that way. So they came together with a list of five things that they wanted the five things that they wanted and still want are right to access restrooms at the restaurants they are servicing. Number two is the right to a living wage and hazard pay. 
Number three is essential protections from robberies, theft, and health and safety issues. Some of those health and safety issues include dying on the job. Number four is the right to use physical public space to eat, rest, and be protected from extreme weather. And number five is the right to organize. And when I first read the five things that they wanted, workers' rights, the thing that struck me was these things are so fundamental to me as a person living in New York City that I assume when I leave my door, when I leave my house every day, that I have these things automatically. I mean, I think we all do. I think we all think that we have the right to a living wage, the right to be protected, the right to use public space. But apparently this is something that they need to fight for, which in and of itself is, is something that gives me pause and I think something that we all need to learn about and think about. So joining us today to find out what has been happening with Los Deliveristas Unidos since July of 2021, we have Lahia Walpa, who is the executive director of the Workers' Justice Project, workersjustice.org, if you want to take a look at them while you're listening to this episode. Um, the Workers' Justice Project was founded in 2010. It's made for better working conditions, community, social justice for low-wage workers and immigrants in the city. They are one of the uh, organizing foundations of Los Deliveristas Unidos. If you want to take a look at that while you're listening, that is losdeliveristasunidos.org as well. Um, and we are being joined by Josh, who is one of the organizers and one of the delivery workers. Um, so Josh, let's start with you. You joined up back in 2021. You are a delivery worker. Let's start with your experience. How long have you been delivering food in New York City and what prompted you to become a part of Los Deliveristas Unidos? And thank you for joining us and sharing your story this morning before you go out to work. Hi, um, it's nice to be talking with you. Um, so I started doing delivery work um, in 2015, 2016. Um, that was about the time that the market for app delivery work was really expanding um, into New York City. It was kind of just, just getting taken off the ground then. Um, and it had been a side job for a number of years um, until um, the pandemic. Um, that was really what changed things. Um, all of a sudden in the pandemic, we have a couple of things happening at once. Um, one, we have the need for delivery as an essential service. Um, with all the people who are staying at home, um, delivery workers were the only ones who are out there on the streets able to, to run food to all these people who are sheltering in place. Um, a lot of people who couldn't leave home um, and needed to have their meals delivered. Um, and what that saw was a huge expansion of the market. Um, all of a sudden, in a economy which was contracting and not a ton of jobs were hiring, delivery work was this industry that was booming. Um, and all of a sudden, the city became taken over by delivery workers. And that was what prompted me to get involved. It was on days in the peak of the pandemic um, where I would only see a handful of other people out there on the streets, um, but I would cross paths with hundreds and hundreds of delivery workers throughout the day. Um, it was like we were the most dominant 
um, class of vehicle and class of worker on the streets. Um, but we had just popped up there. We had no organization. We didn't know each other. Um, we had no public space dedicated to us. We couldn't even go inside the restaurants and use the bathroom when we were picking up food. Um, so that made us start to have conversations that we need to do something. Um, and any sort of power that we have, we need to build for ourselves. So any sort of power that you have, you need to build for yourselves and people communicating amongst each other because those are the people you're seeing. I'm curious as to, from your experience, so 2015, 2016 starting, that gives you a good four or five years of experiencing the job prior to the pandemic. Did the restaurant owner or restaurant side, the treatment to the delivery workers, is that consistent from 2015 to the pandemic? Does that change during the pandemic? How the delivery workers are being treated, it became sort of the only way restaurants could make money as well. Did their attitudes towards you change? Was it any different or was it just business as usual, just more so? I think business as usual, just more so. Mm -hmm. um, delivery work has always been a part, a big part of the New York City economy. Um, but what's happened since then is that it's became more so. Um, instead of being, there'd be a back door in the kitchen uh, where they'd have one Uber Eats order per hour and you could just go in the kitchen and take it. Um, they would have a window facing the street where you would have to line up behind six other delivery people because they're churning out dozens of orders per hour. Um, that's just, that's a different experience. So the volume of it created a different process so that the restaurants could keep up with the volume. Did they treat, do they treat the delivery uh, workers the same or differently as a part of the new process for volume? For the most part, we've been treated badly this whole time. Okay. Although it's been a, a new type of bad, I will say, um, when we are such an essential part of the restaurant's operations, um, but we have nothing dedicated to us. So how do you define bad? I mean, bad is, you know, obviously um, not something that we want, but what is that, how does that articulate to you every day on your experience interacting with people? It's a matter of respect um, and humanization. Um, not letting somebody go inside and use the bathroom. Uh, not letting somebody go inside and stay warm while the order is being prepared. Um, that views us not as a member of the staff, um, but as a piece of infrastructure. Um, it's a button that you hit on your phone, and then this invisible human without a face um, shows up and until you are ready to hand that person off the order, they don't exist. And the restaurant continues their operations as usual, serving customers like the deliveries is not there. It's interesting that you say faceless part of infrastructure and person on the app because the app culture and smartphone culture has, you know, gamified and digitized everything. Being sort of a faceless part of the infrastructure that's also the experience that the drivers have with the delivery apps, whether it be DoorDash or Uber Eats or Seamless or those types of things. You don't ever interact with an actual person or manager or you know colleague. It's all done through the app. 
Absolutely. Um, through the apps, um, we are treated like a number in an algorithm. Um, the way that the apps work is that you sign in um, and it shows you a map of the city um, and the back end of the app has your location and the location of thousands of other delivery workers who are on the clock right now. And they have all of these orders coming in and they have an algorithm um, which determines who gets what order. Um, and that order is based on, they're using their big data analysis to determine what wage we are willing to accept in order to do this order. Um, so an order goes into somebody's queue and it's gonna start low. They're gonna offer that order at $3. Maybe somebody's gonna accept it, that's a win for them. Maybe not, maybe it passes, you decline, passes on to the next person, they decline it, maybe they'll have to raise it to $4. Maybe that person's gonna accept, gonna accept it for $4. Um, they know how much we are willing to work for. They know how far we are willing to drive. They have all of these big data profiles on us, um, which they're using to control the, the work that we do. Um, they call us independent contractors. Like we have this flexibility to take the orders that we want. Um, but it's not quite like that. It's like we're playing a game um, that they're controlling. They're sending us jobs. Um, and if we don't accept the jobs, they just stop sending us these jobs. We have to be in the right position. If it's a busy day, we have to know which restaurants in the area are gonna be producing a lot of orders. And we have to be sitting on standby outside those restaurants, just waiting for an order to pop up. So they've created, they've sort of gamified the system, and then in order to, in order to be more successful at it financially, you need to game the system also, which leads to being geographically in a place that's busy, that has more business and is closer, um, but also then figuring out how many too low-paying deliveries you can decline without being in jeopardy of not getting any offers. To work because it's all it's counting all of your clicks mm -hmm. and accepts so then in that case being unified together with other delivery workers if no one clicked the two the three dollar delivery would what would happen in the in the algorithm then is, is i mean is that part of what unifying is about also just internally if if everybody tries to not exactly. accept the lowest thing and say, we're not going to, we're not going to move for less than, you know, $4. Exactly. Um, as it stands right now, if they're playing a game and we're playing a game back to them, um, unfortunately the house always wins. Right. Um, so we need to do something collectively um, to make the odds, to make it less of a game. Um, so we're not doing something where the odds are in somebody's favor. Um, we're doing something where, this is treated more like a regular job um, where we get a route which makes sense. Um, it's in line with minimum wage laws and we complete the orders that they give us and we're given a fair wage at the end of the day. So more like a driver who would be on staff as a delivery person like UPS or the post office or FedEx where I'm a delivery driver, this is my route. I go, I have my deliveries for the day and or the hour and I go and I do them and I come back. That would be an example, yeah. Mm. So then that's from the side of the delivery app companies and then the restaurants and then the actual people you see 
along the way at the end of the line is probably the customer getting the delivery. So what's that experience like in terms of going from the restaurant and then knocking on someone's door, going to someone's office, or people get delivery everywhere nowadays, don't they? Mm -hmm. um, again, it's usually pretty anonymous. Um, these days, um, since the pandemic, I don't even physically see most of the customers who I drop off to. Um, most of the time, you just drop it off in front of their door, take a picture, ring the doorbell, and head off, head off on your way. Um, and I think that is part of the process of dehumanizing us. Uh, when people don't see their deliverista, um, it creates the impression that they're not this person who's working hard and is deserving of a living wage. Um, it's not an experience like, say, a barista at a coffee shop where you see the person, even if all they do is pour you a drink, um, they still smile. Um, and that triggers something in your head that's like, oh, yeah, this is somebody who I have to tip. Um, this is someone who I'm willing to pay a little bit extra for my coffee just to, to know that they're getting a living wage. Do people tip in New York? Sometimes. Sometimes. Do people, do people have a clear understanding of what all of the delivery fees are and what portion of that is going to the company, the restaurant, and the delivery person? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It seems awfully complicated, quite frankly. It seems awfully complicated, like phone bills and things like that, where you read and you're like, what is that line item? So many times on the delivery apps, they charge something called the delivery fee. Do we know what that actually is and where that goes? I think part of this is by design. Mm -hmm. um, the app wants to make it as complicated as possible for the customer, um, so they don't quite view the cost of what they're doing. Um, yeah, the delivery fee, the app is going to take a cut of that, and then a cut of that is going to go to us. Um, the delivery fee is the base of our wages. Um, so in uh, last year, the city did a huge study um, where they subpoenaed all the delivery apps for about a year's worth of data. Um, and they found that the average take-home pay that we get at the end of everything um, is about $14 an hour. Um, that's before expenses. Um, it includes tips, uh, but it's it's before expenses. Um, and of that, about half of it comes from the tips. The other half, about $7 an hour, comes from delivery fees. Um, and the delivery fee is the core payment that the apps give to us. Um, and what we're trying to push for right now is that the delivery fees that the apps are showing, um, these are simply too low. Um, they need to be raised. The apps need to do their fair share in paying us a living wage. So, Lahia, the Workers' Justice Project has been in the city working on wages and social justice for people in, this, in these low-paying, often hidden jobs. Where do you see the, the current progress or status of Los Deliveristas Unidos? There was some new labor rights that were passed in 2021 that were supposed to come online in 2022 and 2023. Can you tell us what that represents and, and, and what the status of those new rights are? Yeah, so in um, so recently about last year, there was a new um, 
their, their new rights, uh, which are six specifically, um, that the Liberistas were able to win um, through um, a whole year of organizing and rising up against the app delivery industry and corporations. Um, and some of those include, um, as you said, the right to a living wage, the, light, the right to control their distance and determine how far they want to travel, um, prevent the delivery apps from charging that fee for them to get paid, um, the right to um, access a bathroom, um, and also the right to have a delivery bag as part of um, offering uh, to, to to, to minimize the operating cost of deliveristas. And all these rights um, were actually designed to give more control and power um, to deliveristas in New York City, um, who play, as Josh mentioned, a central role in the New York City's economy. The reality here is that all these rights has been, um, are very new to the industry. And, one of the biggest concerns that we have is the enforcement. Um, how we can make sure these companies comply with the, with the law. And the only way um, to do that is if deliveristas continue to organize, report that these um, delivery apps are not complying with the law. Um, and this is exactly what we're trying to do. And for one of the last rights and laws that is about to go in effect in February is a right to a um, minimum pay. And right now, um, the city agencies are uh, putting these laws in implementation, but one of the biggest struggles we're currently dealing is how we make sure we can create a enforcement mechanism that really hold these corporations accountable. And that's where the struggle is. Because in order to hold these corporations accountable, we not only need the agencies to do their jobs and create a mechanism where it makes it easier for deliveristas to report, um, but also that there is real consequences against these corporations who continue to steal um, the tips of deliveristas, who continue to send them long distance um, um, when a deliverista has actually decided that they don't want to travel more than three, four miles to deliver somebody's bagel. Um, and right now, when when also um, these delivery companies sometimes continue to charge extra fees just to pay the deliverista their, their wages. Um, and this is a big fight and a battle where we're testing a new model, a new approach where the fight continues to hold these corporations accountable. Holding corporations accountable, well, the first part of accountability is information and knowing and having knowledge. And that is certainly something that we are really dedicated to doing here on Tech Bytes and on Heritage Radio Network. Um, we also need support and to be able to share information and stories. We are also a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity of members, many of whom are listeners like you today. 
grants, and underwriters like this one. We're going to take a quick break and find out who is supporting this episode so that we can tell this story. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a delivery app that's probably on your smartphone or on the desktop of your computer. When was the last time you used an app to order food? Was it today? Was it just a few moments ago? I know a lot of people needed delivery to survive during 2020 when we were sheltering at place in place. And certainly a lot of businesses, restaurants, grocery, retail, needed delivery to keep the wheels turning, to keep the economies going. Really critical, really crucial for New York City. When was the last time you thought about the person who was on a bike bringing you that food? Maybe you gave them a big tip when they knocked on your door. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you don't pay attention to it. Maybe you don't even think about it as being a person because it's just all about clicks clicks and emojis on your phone. Today we are talking with Josh, who is a delivery worker and an organizer at Los Deliveristas Unidos. We are talking with Lejia Walpa, who is the executive director of Workers' Justice Project. And these two organizations have been working together since 2021 to really bring the issues of this labor group to the front so that people can be paid a living wage, treated with dignity, have many of the protections that we are theoretically all entitled to, like being able to use public spaces and being safe from robbery and theft. And they've been working hard. And part of what they need to do is to let everyone know what's happening. So part of informing the public about what's going on so that the public can make a decision about what they want to do. Do they want to use apps? Do they want to tip? Do they want to voice their point of view when it comes election day for politicians and local community boards who support these types of things? I don't know, maybe. We seem to be pretty voracious about wanting to uphold certain values of our time. So I think this fits into that category. Josh, what do you think the... the most important and difficult hurdle is to Los Deliveristas Unidos being successful in attaining these goals? What's the biggest hurdle you have right now? 
I think our biggest challenge is to get the public to actually be on our side. Um, we've been getting a lot of um, verbal support um, from the public um, cheering for us, saying that we're doing a great job. Um, but then when it comes time to actually um, feel confident in occupying the space that we need to take up, um, that's when we seem to be getting pushback. Um, the public needs to understand that we are workers who are part of this breathing apparatus that is the city. Um, if it means that they'll have to pay an extra dollar or two for their orders, um, then so be it. That's the cost of doing business. Um, if they need to understand that, yes, we are going to take up space, um, we're going to be riding our bikes, we're going to be going fast in the bike lane, we're going to be on the sidewalk sometimes, we're going to be hanging out um, on standby um, in front of these restaurants. Um, they need to understand um, that these are our needs and we are just part of the city and they have to, they have to let us work around them. It's interesting that it's so obvious, obviously a service. And when delivery, you know, getting something delivered to your, to your home or to your office, it certainly feels luxurious. And it's interesting that it's become so quickly something that's essential or just a regular part of life in terms of people expect to have convenience and delivery at a certain level right now today. But going further into thinking about what that cost is doesn't seem to be a part of the equation. And as soon as you have a person doing a job, the cost of that is very specific. And we have laws for that. It's called minimum wage. That person should be making a specific amount of money for that service. So it's interesting that we have these blind spots sometimes when it comes to things. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, Lahia, do, do you know or is there history in the Workers' Justice Project that tells us, you know, why people pay attention to one one group of labor and why they don't pay attention to another one? I mean, certainly, you know, we've seen hashtags and movements and public awareness for a lot of different groups of, of workers in the city, in this country, and around the world where people get really angry when they hear about people being mistreated. What are, what are some of the particular issues of New York City you think that create this um, lack of, of understanding or knowledge about a group? Yeah, and I think is systematically a structure um, in, in industries where traditionally is considered low-wage jobs, right? Um, or, and delivery is not deception. First of all, um, very few people think delivery as an actual profession. And, and that's part of the problem. And the fact that now we have this be, being controlled by corporations who have dehumanized the labor, it becomes even more complex where, as Josh have explained, not, not even the public consumers are humanizing the people who are delivering your 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 meal, your medicine, your basic goods of survival, um, and and that is part of the problem. And this is this is this has existed for for decades um, within the delivery industry, um, and it is because of the organizing of Los Deliveristas Unidos that delivery work is finally being visibilized. 
Um, but that doesn't really mean it's being recognized as an actual job, as a profession that deserves living paid jobs with benefits, deserves better working conditions, um, deserves to be treated as a profession that allows people to thrive and being treated as, 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 as a job that people love doing it and have a lot of respect and really care. Um, and systematically, it's also to the advantage of corporations to invisibilize, dehumanize, and to treat this work as low wage by the corporations. Um, and within this infrastructure, what we're seeing is that now more and more corporations are not only using their algorithms to pay workers sub-minimum wages, but we're also seeing their power to make sure that, you know, they're lobbying to make sure that these, that workers like Los Deliberistas Unidos and movements don't regulate this industry. Um, they have lobbyists lobbying to make sure that Los Deliberistas are not in the way to set a living pay uh, for this work. Um, they're also, they're using their marketing campaigns to scare away consumers from really being on the side of deliveristas uh, by making them fearful that now you have to pay more or dividing um, workers versus restaurants by also telling restaurants, you will have to pay more if we decide to pay a living pay to deliveristas. When in the reality in the industry, app delivery companies are making billions of dollars of revenue by charging excessive delivery fees to the consumers that goes to the pockets of the companies, excessive delivery fees that go from the restaurants that goes to their pockets by paying sub-minimum wages and stealing deliveristas tips. Um, and that is part of the problem. I think deliveristas are the future of the economy and that the term, that means we need, we need to determine the future of workers by partnering with Los Deliveristas Unidos, actually making sure that these workers have new rights, new protections, uh, and the ability to unionize, because that's the only way workers are able to take control of their lives and their own working conditions. So much of what you talk about is you know, really breathtaking in terms of, you know, the billion dollar companies taking tips from a bicycle delivery person during a pandemic. I mean, that there can't be anybody who wants that type of situation. There can't be anybody who wants people to be robbed on the job or to have people not be able to use public spaces. I think if you asked anyone on the street, sort of line item by line item, if they were for or against these things, you'd find very people, very, very few people who would be, you know, against any of this because it's all just part of what we expect as being, you know, a good community and, you know, a good civilized economy. It's also surprising with all the work that's being done to elevate the wages and the conditions um, and the appreciation of the restaurant industry and the value of it. And, you know, the pandemic being a moment when the restaurant industry was trying to self-regulate pricing based on reality versus based on how much consumers want to pay for a hamburger I'm surprised and curious about the fact that there's not more um, collaboration um, or, you know, 
unity between Los Deliveristas Unidos and the restaurant industry. Has there been um, any opportunity to come together? Um, because, you know, third-party delivery apps are not great for restaurants either. Um, so, I mean, we what it's been a challenge, to be honest and transparent in the process, um, because as Josh explained, um, you know, despite the fact that the deliveristas and restaurants are um, experiencing um, similar abuses um, from the app delivery industry and corporations, um, you know, the reality are very different. Um, and the complication when it really comes is that collaboration would only happen if um, restaurants and deliveristas come can come to to agreements on how they build solidarity and support each other, um, and there's ways to do it. And I think restaurants have a huge opportunity to win deliveristas on their side. And there are few things that they have to do, and this is part of our educational campaign. You know, giving access to um, to a bathroom to a deliverista, that's the power that restaurants hold the ability to allow deliveristas to warm up inside their their restaurant while they're waiting for the delivery instead of kicking them out out of the restaurant that's part of building solidarity with workers who want the exact same thing which is um actually not being abused by these apps and and that in one one of the things that we really envision um doing this year is about building a level of solidarity between restaurants and deliveristas. Um, and that would, the only way to do it, um, to be honest, is, is the one-on-one that restaurants become also more conscious that the problems are not the deliveristas, um, that, um, and that there's a lot of power if they come together. And we're hoping to see that. There's a lot work to do. I think this past year, we've been focusing more on making sure that there is um, at least basic protections for deliveristas. And this year is about making sure we are able to bring together restaurants, especially as restaurants start a new fight in New York City to be able to cap the delivery fees mm -hmm. of the corporations. Yep. This is a huge opportunity to work together. It's a great opportunity. Um, unfortunately, our opportunity to talk together today is coming to an end. We are out of time, which I knew we would run out of time. Um, Still so many more things to talk about, but um, I, before we close out this episode, uh, the question that I have for Josh uh, is, I have not seen anybody innovate the delivery space in terms of how the last mile and the actual delivery works. And every time I get a press release or a pitch from a PR person of a company that's you know, innovating the delivery space, it's software platforms, which are good and helpful, but no one is tackling the last mile. From your point of view, if you could build any type of delivery company structure, what would that look like really quickly? How would, how would it be structured? How would you get paid? What would it look like in New York City? Um, well, quickly, about the topic of innovation, I think that the innovators are us. Um, what they have, what these platforms that exist have done is that it's outsourced the process of innovation um, into us figuring out a way to stay safe on the streets 
and complete these ridiculous demands that they have. Um, and what we would want to build um, is a platform where those demands are just um, a little bit more reasonable, um, where we wouldn't have any unpaid time on standby, um, where the time limits that we'd have to complete our routes are going to be um, such that we can ride at safe speeds, um, where we know that we're getting 100% of our tips and as much of what the customer is paying to the restaurant as possible. Would you want a place in the city or places in the city where you could go and recharge and like have a locker room and get ready for work and get up and go? Is that kind of thing practical also or absolutely relying more heavily on restaurants themselves for that kind of space or something? Absolutely. I think that we should be integrated with the operations of the restaurant as much as possible. Um, restaurants, if they utilize delivery space or if they if, if a restaurant utilizes delivery workers, they should also have a space that when we are not on an order, we can go in there and just hang out inside in the warmth of the restaurant on standby and recharge our, recharge our batteries, use the bathrooms, warm up. Um, right now, we have all of these outdoor dining booths which aren't used um, because outdoor dining is not as popular as it was a year or two ago. I think that those can be incorporated into a hub for delivery workers. Oh, that's an interesting idea, repurposing something that's not being used anymore. Um, that's, that's interesting and it's not quite a lot, but I, I'm struck by the fact that you say they have outsourced innovation to you and I guess they should be happy or grateful. I guess we all should be happy and grateful that you take that seriously and you're being thoughtful and trying to innovate and come together and make people realize what's the actual cost of getting, you know, that coffee or salad or groceries delivered to them. It's important. It's important to know what's happening along the way. And the last mile is just as important as every other mile from point of origin to your table. It's an important story. If you are interested, if you listeners are interested in learning more go to losdeliveristasunidos.org. Follow them on Instagram at losdeliveristasunidos underscore New York. They often post a lot of the uh, current activities, what's happening. They sometimes do get together and have protests and marches. I actually discovered them on 7th Avenue one day when there were hundreds of deliveristas riding down 7th Avenue to City Hall, and it was really impressive. It was very impressive to see, and it really it put more than a face onto your delivery app. Um, support Workers Justice Project, workersjustice.org. Um, they do a lot of other work with other groups as well. Um, they are on social media. You can find them on Twitter, at WorkersJusticeP. I want to thank Josh for sharing his story. I want to thank Lujia for coming on and explaining what kind of work they are doing. I want to thank everyone who listens to Heritage Radio Network and this show. Spend some time learning something new. Maybe you pass the episode along to someone else. I want to thank Heritage Radio Network itself for being in existence and all the people who help finance and fund that and have supported us for more than 14 years. We have thousands and thousands of episodes in our archives 
many of which are stories like this, timely, happening now, about where your food comes from. You know, it's fun to sit back and talk about recipes and cook along with the podcast and all of that. And those things are great. And we love to do that. And one of our missions is about making the world more delicious for everyone. And part of making the world delicious is making it equitable. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.